Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Eye on the Tigers podcast. My name is Eli Hoff. I'm the Mizzou sports beat writer for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch at stltoday.com. I'm joined by a familiar guest who has a new title today. He's officially now award certified as the best sports writer this side of Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, and Arkansas. It's your Missouri Sports Writer of the Year, St. Louis Post-Dispatch columnist Ben Fredrickson. Ben, fresh off the uh, the the latest honor, the latest bit of hardware to add to the trophy wall. How are you? How are you doing this morning? Hey, I'm doing well, Eli. Thank you. And uh, I don't know about all that, but it, it's cool to have your work recognized and. Um, especially for this award, the folks who've won it before, um, I look up to quite a bit, you know, guys like Vahe Gregorian and um, our friend uh, who, who's now on the Mizzou side of things, Dave Matter, um, Derek Gould at the Post-Dispatch, um, uh, friends, colleagues, mentors. So that's that's cool to be able to share something with them is is really neat and um, certainly um, certainly think that Mizzou's football season probably helped in some ways get to cover a rise of a returning football program to kind of national prominence. So um, I think I think Mizzou did me a favor there this season, too. So um, the Cardinals certainly didn't, um, although I do kind of thrive when teams are off the rails a little bit. So maybe maybe it helped me out more than uh, more than I know. But thank you very much, man. Good to be with you. And uh, and yeah, man, I guess we're talking a lot of basketball today. I'm, I'm, I'm th- I feel like this is the this is the true. Maybe our first, because there's been a lot of balance between football and basketball. This might be our first solely basketball talk, uh, or at least basketball on the front end, because it's basketball season now. Football season's away. We're into conference season, and um, the Tigers are the Tigers are up against it here. Well, yeah, it, it feels like we're in this weird lull where we actually don't have that much to talk about football-wise, even though there is, you know, this defensive coordinator hire could theoretically happen before people even listen to this episode. Like we're just kind of in uh you know what do they call it circling pattern you know where the the plane can't land and all that i don't know what there's a name for it <laughs> well it but, was you know, the Saban holding that pattern it was the Saban holding pattern well, for any assistant yeah. hires and now it's the hardball weight so uh maybe that's what's holding things up yeah exactly and then and then if harbaugh leaves michigan that that does this all over again it'll be it'll be an adventure on that front but i i, I ben you know i don't tend to start off too fired up when we do these podcasts like i, I think I'm, I'm pretty even keeled i don't come in with any blazing hot takes or anything it's not my job to, to have takes you you and, and ben hockman and jeff gordon get to be the take guys for us but i have a take today that it, it's not even a take it's that i want to quash a take that i'm seeing out there this mizzou men's basketball team is struggling that much is objectively clear they are 0-4 in sec play the ncaa tournament is a bygone now we never you never even let to I never got to have a good bracketology segment or anything because when I tried to do that <laughs> when they were relevant you shut that down so come back next chance then but this this team is is struggling that much is clear and I'm seeing more and more people blaming this on Dennis Gates and and I I don't want to say he's not responsible because that would be just as silly as saying this is entirely on him but I just I struggle to place too much of this on him and and to, you know any notion that he's on a hot seat or his job is at risk or his long term future or any of that just seems sort of crazy to me with this season because I think he has actually been a pretty good coach during all of this and and I I have numbers to back this up I have numbers this isn't just a vibe thing this isn't me just trying to to you know gain favor with Coach Gates or anything like that I'm sure he's listening but when it comes to him, of course he's listening. This is how he starts every morning. I know he he just listens back through, through the whole catalog of podcasts. I know he does. Uh, some of the most coachable plays in basketball, I think, 
are those sideline out of bounds plays, you know, baseline, side out, whatever your, whatever the setup is there. Because those are very, uh, you know, coordinated design plays. You know, there's routes and screens like th those are sets you're going to call every time. You're not just going to heave it in and improvise there. And this Mizzou basketball team has not been in the upper echelon of anything when it comes to statistics. But those plays, Mizzou has been very good this year. On sideline out of bounds plays, they have 1.08 points per possession, which is in the 94th percentile in the country. On plays run after timeouts, they have 0.97 points per possession, 83rd percentile in the country. On the plays where the coaching staff has the most impact, Mizzou has actually been very, very good this year. That's that's one exhibit for why I think Dennis Gates is actually pretty good. When this team is doing what Dennis Gates very directly tells them and is executing in these small circumstances when they receive the instructions right before and then go out and immediately do it, they have been fine, if not actually quite good, pretty good at this. And I also think we, we've talked this whole season about Dennis Gates figuring out the lineups and figuring out the rotation with all this depth. That's been tested with the injuries. You know, losing Caleb Brown, Gates will tell you that, that that was quite the impact on this team, even if, you know, his his spot in the rotation wasn't maybe as obvious or, or as justified as some of the other guys. Losing Caleb Grill, that definitely hurt. He was just settling in as this really solid defender, as a guy who could, uh, you know, cut down some other team's runs, finish at the rim. Right now, losing John Tanjay, he's been up and down all year. It looked like maybe this was going to be an Isaiah Mosley situation. It turns out, as you know, I think a lot of people kind of suspected the foot was bothering him the whole time. Now he shut down for the year to try and salvage a medical red shirt. All of that changes things up. But Dennis Gates is still messing with his lineup. He's still trying to make things work here. He's still trying new things. Uh, there's a, a lineup combination of Nick Onershawn, he's Tamar Bates, Noah Carter, and Jesus Martin Carolero. Carolero Martin, sorry. That group has played 30 minutes together all season through through what 17 games at this point. 14 of those minutes have come in the last two games. Gates is trying things right now as this team is skidding through SEC play. He's trying new things and mixing them up. There are combinations of three bigs, of Noah Carter, Aiden Shaw, Connor Vanover getting on the court together. Uh, that happened for the first time just the other day against South Carolina. Noah Carter, Jesus Carlo, Martin, Trent Pierce. That was another new lineup combination. He's trying these things, and they're just they're not working, which makes me think this is a personnel issue. And I don't want to come in here. I'm not going to put any players on blast. That's that's not my job. That's that's unfair to them because there are a lot of factors going into this. But I think when you look at some of these individual performances, you just you see players missing open shots. Right? Dennis Gates' scheme can create you an open shot, but if you miss it, you miss it. The coaching staff, you know. They can work the jumpers. They can help you with your form in that, but they can't control really whether or not somebody's going to brick a corner three. They can generate the corner three, but they can't control that. And so I, I just I struggle to to blame all of that on Dennis Gates. And and the point I'll, I'll close on, and this will turn into a question for you, Ben, and it's a rhetorical question for everyone listening here. Let's say Mizzou's in a close game. Let's say you go back to that South Carolina game, and it's going into overtime. Which five players do you feel comfortable putting on the floor? I don't know if many people could name five players who they feel like locked down. They can go out and win this game for Mizzou. And and you can you can say some of that is the roster build or the evaluation. And that's part of the coaching staff's job. That's part of Dennis Gates' job. But I don't know if there are five players who you trust to go execute what needs to happen in a close game right now. And I think that's the dilemma for Gates. You see him working through that with these lineups. Carolero comes out and has a good couple of games. Dennis Gates can't play, and when he fouls out of both the games, he's actually playing well in. It's just some of these these 
players are, I feel like aren't helping themselves, aren't helping Dennis Gates, aren't making his job any easier. So Ben, I'll turn that to you. If you want to posit any players who you would feel comfortable closing, that's my that's my opening uh, podcast opening tirade. I'll, I'll shut up now and uh, and go back to being the even keeled mellow guy who mostly <laughs> listens. But that's that's just what I'm I'm struggling to wrap my head around how Gates gets blamed for so much of this right now. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of this is just um, when the team struggles, people want to vent to the head coach. I mean, then then that's in that he's ultimately the top of the the top of the ladder there. So and he would rather wear it than 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 pin it on individual players. Um, you know, he does things sometimes that I think result in more heat coming his way than than it could. I mean, if he just came out and said, look, John Donjay's foot's messed up. We don't know if he's going to be able to play this year. There would have been three less weeks of people going, why isn't he playing this guy? I thought he was supposed to be a player. So sometimes the way Gates handles things, I think in order to protect his players, puts more heat on him. And look, if you ask, uh, if you ask some players why they love their coach, they'll tell you oftentimes that he puts himself in the line of fire, but before the players, I think Gates practices what he preaches there. Um, there's animosity, not animosity. There's 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 disgruntlement in the fan base, understandably, because this team has lost what seven of its last eight games. It's only beaten Central Arkansas since it won against Wichita State back on December third. So, I think if you're if you're not watching things as specifically as as you just laid out it's easy to go well this guy's a bust last year was a fluke and people are mad at the coach i don't see that i've tried to say that i mean i wrote it at the at the bragging rights game missouri is having the kind of season this year that i thought was very likely they could have last year and to me it illustrates a couple things injuries are are cutting into this team um, Tanjay, we don't really know what he could have been. He's been messed up all year. Um, I don't think Caleb Grill is the player Missouri claimed he was, but I also think he could have been growing into an important role for this team. And he was clearly a little bit of an edge guy. Um, and now he's been out and I don't know if he'll be back. I know they hope he will be. I wonder if he maybe goes the medical red shirt route at this point in the season, maybe you're better off if, if you want him back, having him back for, for next year, this team didn't have enough talent to miss multiple guys and and be as good as it needed to be to be competitive for a tournament spot. That's what I see right away. Then what I see is the fact that it's just incredibly hard to throw a big handful of transfers at a roster every year and get more guys than not to stick and thrive. Missouri did it last year. It was amazing what they got. Not, but they also had they also had Kobe who shouldn't be overlooked. But what they got in some of these transfers who who came in and thrived and it worked. It doesn't always happen. It doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that they're not being coached or there's something heinous going on. Some guys just don't transfer as well, and, and transfers hit and transfers miss, and that's the transfer game. It's it's scratch off lottery tickets, and that's why. If Dennis Gates was telling fans, yeah, we're going to keep doing this every year, people should be concerned because it's just too hard. That's not what he's doing, though. He's brought in freshmen, top some of the top freshmen. This class he just signed, not committed, signed, is highly ranked. And then he's already making way in the 2025 class. He's working in front of our eyes toward a more sustainable, I think, successful model. But it doesn't mean he's just going to say this season doesn't matter and punt. Um, and, and I I actually like this sounds like total Pollyanna, but I was realistic about this team from when we started, when you watch this team play to start the season, it didn't pass the eye test last year's team. We didn't, we weren't sure about it, but it did. And it increasingly did. So you start to say, okay, what we thought 
takes a backseat to what we see. And I think this season, what we see is what we thought. And and it's a team that that's in transition. And I, but it's a team that's also playing hard. And to go to Alabama and to go to Alabama with 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 piss and vinegar in an atmosphere, not a big crowd down there, but they were fired up. They had brought all the fans down to the seat. Nate Oates is pushing Aiden Shaw around. I don't know what the heck was going on there. Um, they respond. I mean, these guys are up for the challenge. They're not. They're bought in on on the competition, and I think that's good. And you, he's continuing to try to find answers. I, I think as the season goes along, it becomes more about finding answers that are sustainable versus, you know, leaning on guys who could be gone. He's had some misses in the portal. Like, I'm sorry, like you're to the point in the season now where like Connor, Connor Vanover was a miss. He's not doing what you, what you hoped you'd do for this team. Another guy like Tamar Bates is coming on and you're trying to say, okay, this guy's got, and he's got, he's got eligibility left. This guy can be a part of this thing moving forward, but there's between the injuries and the transfers that didn't hit. I go back to the transfer portal era of this this team's building, what if they would have gotten a Cleveland? What if they would have gotten a Caleb Love? Um, they didn't. It doesn't, you don't always get them, but maybe this team looks different if they get that. So there are times when I watch this team play and I go, God, that's terrible. And then I go look at the numbers. I'm like, well, what I, my, my quick observation of them doesn't match. I think, well, they would talk about getting to the free throws, the free throw line more, but they don't make free throws. And I go look at their free throw percentage. It's actually pretty good. Um, you know, what I see is that the system that Dennis Gates wants to run, and that's not going to change. It doesn't quite have the pieces to run as effectively as it did last season. They're not quite as good at getting steals. They're not quite as good at creating offense off their defense. They don't defend well, and they don't rebound well in the half court, which that's kind of a staple of this style, but they don't have the offensive playmaking ability to overshadow it. Um, you know, I just, what I see from this team a lot is they give up really good looks, to their opponent and they take really hard looks. I mean, Noah Carter down in the post ball domination and then going for a circus shot. Those aren't good looks. And, and I think they're just not, they're, they're not getting as good of offensive looks. And I think a lot of that is some of that. A lot of that's personnel. A lot of that is not having guys who can create a play or, or, or get a shot off um, or, or, you know, perhaps get the kind of look that last year's team got. I think a lot of this team is, is, that the players don't collectively fit the style as much as they hoped. And I think if, if, if this was his plan every season to build a team like this, there'd be concerned, but it's not. And we know it's not. No, I, well, I think you're right there. Cause I, I think back to going into this season, what Dennis Gates sort of pitched this team as, and, and I, I remember him vividly multiple times saying he wanted to lead the country in three point attempts, right? Which is bold. Was this team ever going to lead the country in three point attempts? No. But they don't even lead their games in three-point attempts. They're often other teams are shooting more threes, which which suggests to me that Gates is pivoting away from that game plan, and that makes sense. He he at one point said that that Connor Vanover he wanted him to to be a forty percent shooter from beyond the arc just because he's seven five and and not many people can contest a seven foot five guy's jumper. And like, okay, yeah, sure, but but Vanover, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but the last time I looked, I think he was three for 17 or, or something like that from three, nowhere near the 40% threshold. And and he hasn't taken many contested threes, even the ones that are wide open when he just, uh, you know, pops to the top of the key or, or leaks out to the corner. He's missing. It, and then you have a guy like Nick Honor, who, who he credit to him, 
played a good game against Alabama, seemed to break that slump a little bit, made four threes for the first time since that loss to Kansas. Uh, but he's been he's been rough. The the dribble jumpers that I think are are part of the appeal of his game. You think back to Nick Honor last year, just from from watching him, some of the the plays that stick out the most in my mind are him dribbling up the floor, you know, dribbling one time on the Norm Stewart signature autograph that's on the court, pulling up from right there and, and making it. Those shots have just been abysmal from an efficiency standpoint this year. You lose some of that. And that comes back to what also, I, I we keep comparing this team to last year's team, but that's always going to be the the barometer, the litmus test, I think, with Gates, at least for for the time being. But last year's team had the ability to to stick around in close games so that down the stretch in those closing minutes, you could feed Kobe Brown and he could create things for you from the elbow and he could, you know, get to the rim from there. You could count on Demoy Hodge getting a couple of plays in transition for you or knocking something down. If it really came down to it, you actually you felt okay about Trey Golson as as time ran out from half court doing whatever he needed to do and getting the green light there. There were guys who could do that. Mizzou has Sean East. You, you know, you feel pretty comfortable with the ball in Sean East's hands. You feel pretty good with, with the ball in, in Tamar Bates' hands, I think. Uh, I, I, it's just outside of that, there's there's not much there. And, and uh, you think back to against South Carolina in overtime there, missing the front ends of two one-and-ones. You just, you don't anticipate that. This is, this is like you said, been a, a pretty good free, th- free throw shooting team. You just don't expect that that two guys are going to go and, and kind of throw away four free throws by missing those in an overtime game. When when you have one of the oldest rosters in the nation, uh, playing one of the oldest lineups in the SEC, maybe even the oldest lineup in the SEC, I don't know how many teams actually have more veterans and more experience than Missouri does. You just, you don't expect those plays to happen. And, and so, so, so much of this just feels unexpected there. And and I also struggle with punting on this season, even though it is functionally over this season, will likely end after that, you know, Wednesday of the SEC tournament in Nashville. It'll probably be a quick trip there. But good luck telling a guy like Sean East to ease up or give his minutes away. Good luck telling that to to Nick Honor or Noah Carter or any of these veteran guys. You know, maybe you convince Caleb Grill to to sit out the rest of the season and and not come back. He's still on the cast. I think the you know, I start to wonder whether that five to seven week time frame will actually be what plays out because that should mean he's coming back right about now. And and when I asked Gates about that injury last week, he gave kind of a, a, a cagey answer. All all of that just kind of throws in flux what this team is going to look like down the stretch here and, and what it should look like. Ben, is, is there a point for you where you start to think, hey, it's time, give the freshman more minutes? And, and also, how do you do that responsibly? Because it's not like you want to go throw ant robinson 30 minutes a night and let him get cooked by sec defenders no knock on him that's just what plays out when you're 19 going up against 23 year olds no i get that and uh i I think i think the time is now um i think the time could have been earlier but i understand the the hesitation it doesn't have to be hey nick honor is benched and and you know east nick honor is benched and, and robinson is playing more but there needs to be there needs to be some more tilting towards some of the guys who've got time left direction in, in their direction, in my opinion, if you're really trying to maximize what is going to become a learning experience season, not just because that's going to be best for Robinson, like Nick honor has a lot of games where he doesn't look like he's playing well. I don't, I don't know if he's, he doesn't look as dynamic as we saw last season. He looks, he looks overused. He's playing some of the most minutes in the sec. And if you look at the plus minus, 
it's not great. And that's a stat that we know Gates values a lot. And it's not a knock against Nick. It, they just need to spread it out a little bit more. This idea that he was going to be, you know, the star of this team or something in terms of minutes. I don't think anybody was, was, was expecting that. So I don't think you have to, to do that. The SEC is a big physical league and the idea of throwing just freshmen into it and saying, Hey, go figure it out. You got to be careful about that because it's, you don't want to shatter confidence. You want to build it and you got to build that gradually. But I think that's got to be when Dennis Gates and his staff sits down and talks about game plans, that's got to be a growing part of the discussion It's not necessarily what's best for this game, but what's best for next year at this time. And you don't, it's it's easy for us to say um, it's, it's totally different if you're trying to get off of a, uh, you know, a, a, a stretch in which you've got one game since December, not starting December 9th. Um, so I, I get that, but I do think you've got to continue to try to pour into these young guys. Um, and and, and that's also, where, and I also think too, like the things you monitor, if you're a fan, you're a realistic fan, you monitor effort, you monitor buy-in, you monitor, are you, are guys improving? Are guys with, with time left getting better? And, and I think there's been signs of that. I mean, look at Tamar Bates and what he's playing at now compared to when the season started. You're seeing guys getting better, and that's encouraging. This team has not once showed up to a game where it's like, well, can't win this one, and it shows. No, they're, they're, they, they're in these games until they get away, in part because they can't create shots down the stretch of close games and that's a problem for their offense but you haven't seen any any games that look like okay they're just rolling it out there and and they're going to take this loss and that that shows you things are are in a good spot i do think you've got to continue that while also trying to nudge it toward some some increasing reps for some of the younger guys and he's doing that i mean he's playing these guys i just think i'd like to see i'd like to see that continue because it's i don't know man people people can love it or hate it the Ken Palm projections, they don't always come true, but if you believe in them, this team is projected to win two more games the rest of the year. One of those is against Arkansas, which I can't believe Arkansas is as bad <laughs> as people think. And I, I have an easier time suggesting that maybe this Missouri team is perhaps as bad in terms of wins and losses as some of the projections look. They're going to have a lot of close games, but I, I thought by now they would have flipped one in their favor and they, they, they seem to have a problem getting that shot or that sequence of plays that locks up maybe a win that's there for the taking. Well, yeah, you, should, you think one of the just fun things about basketball and, and college basketball in particular is so that there are random things that happen, that there are nights where the underdog goes, you know, 10 for 16 from three while the other team goes four for 16 from three and, and knocks them off and an upset. And, and we've seen this, look at all the shakeup of, it seemed like every top 10 team in the country managed to find a way to lose in the last couple of weeks, but, but Mizzou doesn't get any of those wins. I don't think when you look at their schedule, I'm trying to think back now, if they had any wins that, that you go back and you're like, Oh yeah, that wasn't a game that Mizzou really had any business being in much less winning. And instead they've been on the flip side of those of like, I hate to bring it up, but the Jackson State loss of like that should have been a comfortable Mizzou win. One of the other things I think that you you pointed out there, Ben, which is with these freshmen, even if you're not going to throw 30 minutes a night at them, you need to throw some minutes. And and that, I think, is a valid criticism of Dennis Gates. Not playing the three freshmen against South Carolina and Kentucky is a disservice to them and a disservice to this program. Now, maybe there was something behind the scenes. Maybe that's not the developmental plan, you know, we can give them the benefit of the doubt for now, but 
that raises some questions. And, and Gates was asked about that and just said it was, you know, an executive decision and he's entitled to do that. He doesn't have to explain his thinking. Like you said earlier, it, it maybe sets him up for a little more criticism and, and that's a fair point. But those freshmen need to at least be getting some minutes, need to be getting, you know, something that they can go and discuss. One of the benefits of the way this roster is constructed right now that may not necessarily be true next year, you've got really great leadership, really great experienced players ahead of these freshmen. Ant Robinson being able to learn from Sean Easton, Nick Honor by working out with them every day, going up against them, watching how they operate in the practice gym, in the film room, all of that. That is a huge asset for his development that I, I guarantee two, three years from now when he's a dang good college basketball player and he's looking back, he's going to cite that experience as part of it. Absolutely. But you, you, you got to give him minutes on the court to be able right. to go and, and work through some of that. Yeah, I think you've you've got to be able to leave this season if it continues to head in this direction. And right now, I don't see any reason to think it won't. If they go win the SEC tournament, then and that's the there, there's always that that possibility that crazy things happen. You got to have something substantial. You can say this season was rough, but look what what happened. And to me, the most obvious look what happened can be, you know. Robinson goes into next year confident and ready to be a key cog in this team. A guy like Butler, a guy like Pierce are ready to be, to, to be counted upon contributors. And you can work toward that this season without simply saying, Hey, we're starting all freshmen, old guys kick rocks. And, and that, that, that wouldn't be good for your program in general. You've got to try to maintain the, you know, the, uh, the integrity of the, of, of the morale, but you can toggle things. And I, I think you're going to have to continue to do that. Um, and I think when in doubt, you got to go with the guy who's, who's going to be around a little bit more. Um, and also too, like, I, I think in some ways scaling back some of these quote unquote proven guys may get better performance out of them. Noah Carter played great last year at times when he was coming off the bench. Um, there would be, you know, sometimes, sometimes a guy getting less of an op, a little bit less run is good for their production. Um, to me, there are guys, some guys on this team who are trying at times to do, to do too much. And that, that tends to happen when you're on a team that doesn't have go-to guys who are established. So, um, you know, I, I think the one thing that I, that is really crystallizing this year is this system that Gates wants to play. It can work and it can be exciting. But if you don't have the right guys to do it, it gets you beat. And it doesn't mean you got to scrap the system, but you better make sure, better make sure guys are, are that you have are able to play it at a high level. Because when you don't rebound and you give up 17 second chance points per game on the road, it's you got to score. You got to score other opportunities. You've got to get in transition. You've got to make open threes. If you're going to be a team that wants to shoot them and you've got to finish at the rim. And if you can't do those things and your defense is, is as, as loose as this team's can be, then, then it's not good. I, I don't know. And I've said this before teams that have athleticism, they should backdoor this team to death because they are over aggressive and it's how they want to play but you see good teams throw alley-oops you see them fake and cut behind and that's the the flaw in this defensive approach and i think teams like teams like you know kansas have have exposed it i don't know why more teams haven't maybe it's because they can't they don't have the athletes but there are there are ways that this 
program, this system has to work and there are ways that it can be attacked. And I'd like to see it get a little stronger in some of the ways it can be attacked. If you can break the press against this team right now, you can score. And if you can get guys out over aggressive, you can, you can score. And, and if for a team that doesn't, I know put a ton of emphasis on rebounding, nobody wants to see a team get four offensive chances on the same end. You can't win like that if that's happening very often. And I think it is happening too often for this team. They're not going to be a glass. They're not going to be the Windex team. Like they're not going to be the bunch of reap, but they've got to get a little better at, at some of the things that, that they're, they're not designed to do well, especially if they're not doing some of the things they are designed to do well, that if you're not going to make a bunch of threes, you better not give up so many. And something's got to give there if you're going to win a game. And I think that that's something to watch the rest of this year too. So there are meaningful ways to analyze a team that's going nowhere. Um, and, and, and it doesn't mean the program's going nowhere. That's the important thing I think to stress is for folks who are saying, well, they were good last year. They're bad this year. The the coach is not working. Well, they're not, that, that's, that's not reality. And they're also not paying attention to some of the talent that this guy has coming. It's also important to recruiting to future players to continue to have some positivity around your program, even in a trying season. And that's, that's on this group too. Look, some of those recruits that are saying, yeah, I'll come to Mizzou that that is affected at times by what's happening on the court. And if you're, if you don't have the fight, if you don't have the energy, if the fan base gets, gets negative or, you know, nowhere close to toxic, but people, people don't respond well to continued losing. That's something to keep an eye on too. But I, I kind of I didn't see this coming, but I expected once we saw this team play a little bit, this they didn't quite have some of the components that made them exceed expectations this year. It doesn't mean that with what he's got coming, he can't be back on track. So I I'd, I'd I'd request that people take this season in stride, and I've kind of been trying to say that for a while now. I haven't seen anything that suggests that that, that that's going to change. Well, I think you're you're right on there, and I will say. Uh, in a in a brief, I guess it's a it's a plug of sorts. If you're a, a fan who's who's feeling pessimistic about the direction of the the men's program, uh, take a, a Thursday or Sunday and watch the women's team play. People, not enough people are are doing that, and they've got young players. When uh, when number one South Carolina came to town last week, they started three freshmen against uh, against the Gamecocks, and they're fun. You've got Mama Dembele, who's the most electric player men's or women's at Mizzou. Uh, Check them out, and uh, and there's a little more, a little more upside going there. They're still, they're still working through stuff, but there's more upside on that side of things. Uh, ben, we should chat a little bit of football before we we get out of here. Um, like we said at the at the beginning, you found the phrase I was looking for: a holding pattern. That seems to be what's happening with the defensive coordinator search. But uh, but while that was playing out up above, defense or edge rushers coach, a defensive end coach, Kevin Peoples followed his uh, his old boss Blake Baker and left his higher up boss uh, went to LSU as well. Uh, Mizzou's going to get a, a pretty healthy buyout from the two of them heading down to the Bayou, but Peoples is a very highly regarded assistant. He was this staff's nominee for the Broyles award, which is what goes to the nation's best assistant. He was a, uh, I think a semifinalist. He, he, you know, advanced in the, in the ranks of that uh, again, very highly regarded. He was going to be working with Williams Winery, who's the nation's top defensive prospect by far the best incoming edge rusher in the country. But, uh, chose to head to swampier pastures <laughs> ben just you know what's what's swampier, your uh, swampier rice fields i think it is down there well, yeah. yeah i think i think so but uh, isn't that where they have the the tabasco hot sauce 
empire oh, down there. So I think I think that sauce. could be worth it. Yeah. But, so but what's hot your sauce, oysters? Great, great food. No offense to Colombia. Love Colombia, but food probably a little better down there in uh, in New Orleans. I, I didn't. This didn't surprise me. I Blake Baker and Kevin Peoples are very close. Um, got Tulane ties, and I think it was largely assumed that when Blake Baker left, he was going to be trying to take Peoples with him. And why wouldn't and, he? Why would why why wouldn't he? Yeah, he's yeah. he's had good results. That and Mizzou did try to counter. Um, I think Missouri kind of like with Blake Baker. I think they kind of felt like they maybe could keep him, and then all of a sudden he was gone. But for folks who are like, what the heck's going on? Why can't Mizzou keep these assistants? This is what LSU is doing to everybody they're hiring right now. They just took the uh, defensive. Uh, they just took a a. a, a I believe one of the other position coaches from Texas and folks were like, why would this guy leave? And all of a sudden he's gone. So um, we'll see now what happens if, if, if Jim Harbaugh leaves and Brian Kelly gets some serious run as the Michigan coach, that would be something um, talk about how things could, could be impacted there in terms of the, the weight. it did seem like everybody was paused in terms of accepting jobs. Once the Saban situation happened, because everybody wanted to see what that staff looked like who Kalen DeBoer would bring in at Alabama once he got the job. And now it does seem like there's a little bit of a wait and see with Michigan. So um, my read on it is that Missouri's goal is to hire a sitting defensive coordinator. I think they'll go outside the program. I don't think it'll be an internal promotion. And I think with the money they were willing to pay Blake Baker, they kind of advertise that they're willing to throw some serious money around. Um, I imagine they're doing interviews, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if some of this is being held up by some of the uncertainty and, and, and waiting to see what staffs will look like elsewhere. And, and I don't blame Eli Drinkwitz for, for wanting to know that he's going to get somebody who's going to be there. I mean, he's had upper, had things in the past where a guy says yes, and then is gone, you know, two weeks later, you don't want that to be what happens after you hire, after you lose Blake Baker, you want this to be somebody who's all in and not all in until the next best thing comes around, at least for a little while. So um, that's probably got a lot to do with the weight. Um, I do think they'll make they'll make a hire from outside from a guy who's done this at a high level. Um, so that's encouraging that that's the direction they're looking in terms of specific names. I don't know. I just know that Eli's got a lot of connections to the up and coming coaches and the coaching community and he's usually got a pretty good read on who's kind of emerging so curious to see who it will be but uh but he's got some money to to play with here and i think missouri in some ways opened some eyes when they when they got out what they were willing to play pay blake baker to keep him because a lot of programs couldn't compete with that lsu just happens to be one of them that can and will well and i think that that not wanting to all of a sudden see a better option goes both ways here for Mizzou as well with with all of these the coaching carousel and assistant coaching carousel still continuing if they're going to go splash some cash on somebody not saying they're going to go and and pay two million dollars to just anybody off the street that's not how this is going to play out they're going to still want to be fiscally responsible with this but they don't want to go make the hire and then all of a sudden two days later see a, a name that would have been at the top of the list if they'd known that guy was on the market so uh, all of that you know it's a it, it truly is a, a business with all of this uh, ben, we got to close it out with the quick three here. We've had a lot of basketball talk, so we're going to stick on that for the quick three at the end here. Uh, you mentioned the Ken, Prom, the Ken Palm projection earlier, but how many games does the Mizzou men's basketball team win between here and uh, in the end of the regular season? Oh, man. I think they can get five. I think they can get five. What do they have left? Three, six, nine, 
12, 14. Is that right? 14 games should left? Be, should be about that, yeah. It would, I, I think they can get five. And that, like, I, I'm not standing up saying, that would be amazing. Um, but there's this conference is, it, it's got it's got winnable games throughout it. I think Missouri's maybe had some, some, some bad luck in some of these games that haven't gone their way. So I, I do think that the two feels a little low, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go with, uh, I'll go with five. That would put them at um, let's see here about that would give them what 16, it'd be a 16 win season, which is not what you want. And it's not going to put you in the NCAA tournament. But uh, but it could give you uh, some some energy headed to the SEC tournament and and could, you know, set people up to be be a little more optimistic about what next year can bring. I think the bigger thing, too, would be who those if they get to five, if they could get just one or two kind of stolen wins or, or momentum. Yeah, take down wins. a rank. Take uh, people always love it when you take down a ranked team. Just go spoil it for somebody else. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. find a way to beat. uh Find a way to beat Bruce Pearl. People love to rip on Bruce Pearl, myself included. So go find a way to to, to take somebody out and and make their resume a little more uh, miserable. And and that that when when you're having a rough season, nothing makes it feel better like making it rough for somebody else. Well, I I remember I'm thinking back to to my freshman year at Mizzou. I'm gonna age myself here. That was the uh, the 2019-20 season uh, when Auburn came to town. Uh, there was a, a fan who was seated just kind of right up above press row in Missouri Arena. Who uh, the gentleman? He was having a he was having a good time. He drank the the requisite material to have a good time. <laughs> but the only line he seemed to have left to heckle was to tell Bruce Pearl to sit down. And he was so loud, and he just kept yelling for Bruce Pearl to sit down. So we'll see if uh, this is the year for that. Uh, ben, in a, in a broader sense, uh, as a as a, a college basketball watcher. What is the best college basketball team you've seen play this year? It seems like there's some flux now in the rankings with all of these upsets. Uh, who's the the best team that you've had a chance to watch this year? Man, um, it pains me um, at times to compliment uh, Kansas. I think Kansas is is pretty dang good, um, and uh, I probably expect to see them. I, I thought I was way wrong. I thought Arkansas was one of the better was one of the better teams um, around, and and they're having some huge huge issues here. Um, but uh, I, I think it, it's kind of like the Blue Bloods. I will say this though: they never find a way to get it done in March. Tennessee's really good, and that kid that they've got from Northern Colorado. Um, connect is a is a bad man and I don't know how he was at Northern Colorado but but compliments to to Rick Barnes and his staff for getting him so in the SEC um, man I I'd have a hard time picking somebody picking somebody over Tennessee yeah when they they demolished Florida last night and in Florida as I think Mizzou fans will see this weekend when they come to to Columbia is is not a bad team at all they almost beat Kentucky earlier so the I, yeah Tennessee is uh, is pretty legit and in, in the produce Bend- pretty produce pretty impressive too. I mean, when they, you got a, when you got a returning national college player of the year, um, and you're playing in the toughest conference, yeah, you, you're pretty good. That tends to help. Uh, to close this out, it's the play from last night's game that we probably should have talked more about. In all honesty, it's kind of a big deal. Ben, is it ever okay for an opposing coach to shove <laughs> a player who is not his own? No, no, and no. Surprised it wasn't a technical. Um, I'm sure. And and I know we know you know you talked to Dennis Gates that uh, Nate Oates apologized. I have defended Nate Oates at times because he's willing to say what he thinks, and um, he's fired some shots at Coach K, which is like something no one will ever do in college basketball. So I appreciated that. 
he's had some also had some notable discipline issues on his team. So I think I think I think he's kind of developed into a little bit of a heel personality. This wasn't like egregious. He didn't punch Aiden Shaw. Um, this was more like, hey, get out of our huddle type of thing. And Aiden Shaw was on the sideline, you know, talking whatever he was talking. But you can't do it as a coach. And if Aiden Shaw had, in a moment of poor decision-making, pushed back, there would have been a real fiasco down there, and the SEC would have a headache today. Credit to Aiden Shaw for not reacting. I, I think Dennis Gates has really got – is this team in a remarkable place of composure? Um, they, I like that about them. They will mix it up, but they know when to push it and when to when when to stand and hold the line. And I thought Dennis Gates handled it the right way. But he's absolutely right that if it had been reversed, then uh, there would have been you know multiple think pieces today about how Dennis Gates couldn't control his program and blah blah blah. And if a player were to do that to a coach, why can it, and, and the world would come crashing down, then how can it be the opposite? In fact, more responsibility should be on the coaches to to be above those kinds of things. So I think Oates was trying to fire his team up. I think he thought they were a little flat, and I think it worked. Unfortunately for Mizzou, I think it was kind of one of the turning moments in the game. So maybe that's, if you're Alabama side of things, that maybe that's good coaching. But I would imagine that um, Nate Oates got a call from Greg Sankey or someone in the SEC and said, hey, cut it out you know we don't we don't you don't coaches don't put their hands on players and I would imagine that if Nate Oates saw that happen to one of his guys he would have been pretty upset so usually when those things happen it tells you that a guy was in the wrong yeah well I think your point that everyone's lucky it didn't uh, devolve into something worse there's some dudes who would no. not have t- just stood there no. in, in, in it all yeah I, I think for a lot of people listening you know you could, we could be sitting here after the fact saying, oh, Aiden Shaw shouldn't have slapped him back or something. But at the same time, I don't think you could blame him if, if his natural instinct was to, to push back. So it's it just a, a, a bit of a, a dodged uh, swamp of, of phone calls and suspensions and fines. <laughs> from yeah, a, I mean, I, mean all I, of that. I guess he's not going to get any reprimand from the. It might be one of those verbal reprimand situations. Sometimes the league hits, hits those with, uh, with 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 something they kind of want to make sure they note but they don't really want to make a big deal out of um you can't the, the rule is this though and the rule is this for a reason coaches don't put their hands on players that's it if players push each yeah. other that's that's competition coaches coaches can't be doing that stuff and anyone who's defending what it, it, like i'm not sitting here being like this is the most horrific thing we've ever seen like no it wasn't but the anyone who's defending nate oats is an Alabama fan or is just trying to be, is just trying to be a, a bleep disturber um, because yeah. the, 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 everyone understands you just don't do it. You don't do it. If anything, you get their officials away, but also the officials should have never let it get to that point. The officials should have been ushering yeah. Aiden Shaw out of that situation. So um, kind of a, just a failure on multiple levels there. And fortunately for both sides, it didn't turn into something pretty ugly. Yep. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll know what the SEC phone call looked like when, uh, when Alabama hires NATO to get back coach at some point before the well, next game. <laughs> now, here's, and I, I might write about this. It's not just a NATO issue. These coaches are, and this will get, you started on a rant. I'll end us on one. These coaches are, are out of control. They need to, first of all, put on a damn suit. COVID's over. Okay. Put your, you're, you're making millions of dollars a year. Put a shirt with a collar on it. All right. If the sports writers are dressed better than you at the game you're coaching, you've got a problem. So that's one. Two, get off the damn court. I'm so tired of seeing videos of guys like Shaka Smart on the court, Bruce Pearl on the court, getting in the way 
of opposing players. Shaka at times looks like he's playing defense. Like it's like a yeah, they're closing defense. out some of these guys. Someone's gonna get hurt. First of all, if 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 a star player knocks a knee with a coach who won't get off the damn court, that's a huge problem. And it's happening nightly. They won't correct it. The officials need to get the guys in the box and they need to start teeing them up if they're not within a reasonable distance to the bench. So, and third of all, keep your damn hands off the players. You're not there, you're not on the court. You're not a player. If you want someone to go push a player, tell one of your players to do it. Get a goon on your team who can go out and do it. But enough of this. Put a tie on, stay off the court, and coach. It's not that hard. You're getting paid very handsomely to do it. If you want to play, go join the men's league that plays at noon at the rec center and get it out that way. And on, uh, on that celebratory note, I think we'll, uh, we'll call it a podcast for today. <laughs> thanks for thanks for listening to, to all of our rants, folks. We, we do appreciate you tuning in. Uh, be sure to, to rate, review, like, subscribe, do all the things to your favorite podcast. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week with even more Mizzou things and perhaps some more coaching antics to talk about. Thanks, folks. Thanks.